the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Healthcare Now, paid for by Integrated Physician Network. This program is recorded to air at this time. Healthcare premiums through the roof. So much to think about when it comes to healthcare. Who do you talk to? Where do you go next? Well, we've got your answer to navigating the healthcare world. Welcome to Healthcare Now with host Mark Chayant and Larry Jones. And now let's head into the Healthcare Now studios. Welcome to Healthcare Now. Thanks for joining us this Saturday afternoon. I'm Dr. Mark with my co-host, Larry. Larry good, Jones, how Good are you afternoon, doing? Dr. Mark. I tell you, we, uh, we're going to have a great show today. Yeah. Uh, obviously, we like to educate our listeners the best we can. Yes. We always start with a little bit of talk about COVID. But today we have an amazing guest, uh, Dr. Michael Mazinski. Dr. Mike, he's allowed us to call him Dr. Mike, so he matches up to Dr. Mark. But right. I've known him since uh, 1997. Uh, I've known him through uh, many stages of both of our careers, mm-hmm. and he is a pediatric infectious disease doctor, which puts him in a very small category of people right there. Yes. But it gets better. So, you know, he practiced, uh, he was a, we met at Arnold Palmer Hospital here in Orlando, mm-hmm. and he matriculated on to becoming involved with the uh, FSU uh, College of Medicine, Okay. became the dean of the Orlando campus of the College wow. of Medicine. And spent about 15 years, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but about 15 years in that position. Two years ago, uh, retired. He's now a professor emeritus. Mm-hmm. And, Larry, you've got some other good stats on him. We're yeah. not going to let him talk. We're just going to yeah. talk about him. Well, you know, uh, being in pediatric infectious disease, you're, as you're right, as in our network, we don't have many guys like that. And they're very, I call her super, call them super specialist we like it when in you the call pediatric us world yeah. both of you yeah. <laughs> i mean it's really rare that i get dr mike and dr mark on the same call so this is really good but welcome to the show dr mark we're really glad to have you today well, that, that, well uh, dr. Uh, dr mike, mike. I mean, yeah see that's yeah. how it's going to get confusing yeah now mike we'll give you a chance to say <laughs> hi yeah <laughs> well thanks for having me it's really a pleasure to talk to y'all you know, uh, Dr. Mike is a member of the Orange County Public School Board Medical Advisory Committee, and he was just reappointed by Chairman Jacobs for another term, and he's also a national CME speaker on pediatric uh, infectious disease principles for practitioners, and as you indicated, Professor Emeritus of Florida State University Medical School, and, and, and he does a lot of things in reviewing and interpreting clinical research data. And the last thing I want to say about Dr. Mike is he's not retired. <laughs> no, he's not. <laughs> he's just retired from practice. His wife would agree. <laughs> exactly, exactly. That's, that's, that's accurate, yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, great. Well, we're going we're gonna to sort of jump into uh, some, some questions. I know the listeners, I mean, at this point, they've got to be pretty excited about what they are anticipating they're going to learn because we, we bounce around and we get our information from here and there, but you've really, to say that you do the research is is the honest truth, whereas people are always telling me that, well, I did my research, and I always stop them and say, no, you read something on the Internet. <laughs> and and I don't expect them to do what you do, but to listen to what you've learned and what you've experienced. So we're really excited about, about how this show is going to go today. 
I'll do my best. Um, I'm, I, have, I have no doubt. I have no doubt. So we can sort of start out by focusing a little bit on COVID in pediatrics. Um, it's definitely something that's been in the news since the very beginning, but there are a lot of unique pieces both in the diagnosis and in the treatment. And I'd you know, love you to just sort of start, start a lecture and we'll uh, kind of play along. Okay. Well, COVID in children, uh, the, the amount of COVID in children has increased uh, greatly since the Delta variant came along. You all know that COVID has a way of uh, uh, mutating itself uh, to be more fit, to, to be able to infect better, because, you know, that's what living things do. They try to survive in their environment uh, to the best of their ability by basically natural selection principles, right? Right. So the Delta variant really uh, caused big problems uh, in kids. Uh, back in 2020, you know, maybe only 2 to 5% of all COVID was in children. Right. And I, I heard people always saying, like, uh, kids don't get COVID, number one. Number two, they say if they do get it, they don't pass it on to adults. Right. Uh, and number three, they never die from it, uh, and they never really get in the hospital. And all, all of those statements are absolutely wrong. And they were wrong back then. They were wrong but, in the beginning, yeah. Yep. Yeah, but, but there were so few cases it was hard to demonstrate, uh, you know, uh, solid data on right. what was going on. Now we have much better data. Studies are still ongoing. And we're learning more and more all the time with COVID. It's not like a, a, a yearly thing or a monthly thing. It's almost a daily thing on, on the new data coming in from all over the place because it's a very hot research topic and all the researchers around the country are wanting in the world. Fact, the world, yeah. yeah. Want to get in on this, you know. I'm... So now, now at this present time, uh, one in four COVID cases are in kids. One in four. One in four. Our children. Oh, wow. Yes. Okay. So a lot of people don't re- realize this. And, and so what you have is you have this uh, Delta variant, which is many times more infectious than the original variant, which was called Alpha because it was the first one, right? Right. right. First letter in a Greek al- alphabet. And uh, the Delta variant uh, infects many, many more people in a close space than the Alpha used to. I'll give you an example. Uh, there's this uh, medical uh, uh terminology we use called the reproductive number. Yeah, yeah, we've covered that the on the show. Factor. So yeah. if yeah. our yeah. listeners are actually <laughs> stick with us, but but you, you take it from the ground yeah. up. Okay. So the reproductive number for the alpha variant was around two to three, meaning if I put you, a positive COVID patient, into a room of 100 people, you would infect about uh, two to three people around you. Uh, and then those people will go on to potentially infect two, two to three more people in a crowded environment and so forth down the line. So you can see how it exp- exponentially grew back in the, in 2020. Now with the Delta variant, if you're unvaccinated, the uh, uh, reproductive number is as high as anywhere from six to eight, which makes it one of the most infectious viruses respiratory-wise that we have. Uh, only measles beats it out, really. Uh, it's the most infectious virus uh, that's spread respiratorily, measles. Is. Right. But getting back to COVID, uh, what that means is if I take you and put you in a room of 100 people, you're going to infect maybe eight people in that room, and those people are yeah. going to go out and infect eight more and eight more. So you can see why we had such a huge spike uh, that in, in this year uh, that it was pretty much devastating for a lot of hospitals and killed a lot of people, uh, uh, and often needlessly since, the vast majority, the vast majority of hospitalized patients, 95% around there, uh, were unvaccinated, and, and the, the deaths were almost exclusively 
and unvaccinated people, although there have been deaths here and there reported, of course. Yeah, and we, we were, Larry and I were discussing off off the show earlier about the number of deaths that have occurred yeah. after the vaccine, to your point, right? right. So right. we've had, uh, we've had almost 100,000 yeah, 100, yeah. people, yeah. and the vaccine has been incredibly effective in dropping that number. So, yeah, so that's, right. that's a sad reality. But, you know, even though the it, it breakthrough cases do occur, uh, they're not as common as uh, cases by contact between unvaccinated people. Uh, so it does cut that number, that reproductive number down significantly mm-hmm. to where it could slow the uh, pandemic down. The, the, the other thing uh, it, it does is, is these vaccines are highly protective against uh, secondary issues such as getting in the hospital, getting pneumonia, uh, and dying. So they're incredibly effective against that. Uh, the one negative about vaccines is we, we were, we're learning, just like we learned about other childhood vaccines and other vaccines in, in adults even, uh, that uh, just because you got uh, the recommended number of shots at the beginning doesn't mean it's guaranteed to last forever. We have to see if, how long it does last. Yeah, and we don't, to date, we don't really know that answer, do we? Well, we do know that within approximately six to eight months, closer to eight months, uh, a lot of the vaccine efficacy wanes uh, pretty dramatically. That's why you're seeing a call all over the world, and, and including in the United States, experts saying that we need boosters. Now, boosters aren't something like, oh, my God, the vaccine doesn't work, so you need a booster. Well, you know, in child childhood, you know, we boost all the time. Like, you know, you, you need a whole bunch of polio vaccines right. before you're immune to polio. Mm-hmm. You need a whole bunch of tetanus vaccines to become immune to tetanus. Uh, right. And even in childhood, uh, if, if you get the influenza vaccine for the very, very first time, uh, you need two of them, not just one like adults need. Right. So, uh, so it's it, about our immune right. system. It's not about the vaccine. <clears throat> right. Uh, and, and it, or it could be about the vaccine, uh, that it, mm-hmm. it, the immune system just gets revved up to a point where it's effective for a while. And it has to be reminded uh, down the line that, hey, don't forget about uh, protecting us against this uh, agent, and we give a booster. Yeah. Well, Dr. That, Mike, that, it was reported working. that uh, Pfizer is going to come out with a 5- to 11-year-old vaccination, hopefully by Halloween. <clears throat> and it was stated that that vaccine is a third of the dose of the, the adult. Can you talk about that? Sure. One thing you have to recognize is uh, two things. One, children are different than adults. They are not little adults. Uh, they are their own uh, uh, species, almost. Yeah. Uh, They're their own petri on, dish. Depending on yeah. the age. <laughs> right. So, so, so you, you would get a great immune response if you gave a five-year-old the adult vaccine, but you'd also get a lot of side effects mm-hmm. uh, from okay. it. Okay. Uh, so it's advantage un- versus disadvantage. Yep. Right. You're unnecessarily giving, uh, uh, the, if it's an mRNA vaccine, uh, a large amount of mRNA that they don't need. Uh, to, to produce an immune response. So the reason why it takes so long to get vaccines uh, approved in kids is the is couplefold. One is uh, children are always the last in research. Yes, they're always the last to go because one of the thoughts over the over the uh, last hundred years in research in kids is that we don't want to uh, do research on children first. We want to see if there's anything bad in adults that occurs so that we won't per- uh, perpetrate that upon children. So now we have all this great adult data, uh, you know, billions of doses, uh, 6.8 billion doses of 
a vaccine. The COVID vaccine have been given. Wow. And we know that the rate of uh, adverse events are incredibly low, and it's an incredibly safe vaccine. So the next logical step was, okay, let's try it in children. So the next thing that makes it harder to do uh, vaccine research in children is that you have to do what's called tighter the vaccine. In other words, you have to come up with that sweet spot, right? Mm-hmm. The spot where the immunity is, is good enough for protection and and where the dose is low enough not to give uh, unwanted side effects. You know, And the side effects aren't dangerous, but they're things like, you know, you feel terrible for three, four days maybe if you got an adult dose as a kid. Right. So... So they had to do studies looking at various doses of the vaccine to see which one would be the best in that in that kind of hitting that right spot for uh, how much they should use. Um, I, I did in uh, years ago uh, the clinical trials for the varicella vaccine, the chickenpox vaccine, mm-hmm. and we really didn't know uh, how much uh, of the uh, material in, in the chickenpox vaccine we should give the children. So, so one of the first trials was uh, just children getting uh, different doses uh, of, of the vaccine to see how they work, what kind of side effects, and so forth. And we came up with the uh, uh, right right amount for chickenpox, just like uh, they've done now uh, for the mRNA vaccines for kids. Right. And they know what the proper uh, titer of the material mRNA should be in a childhood vaccine to get the immune response they want and to avoid the side effects they don't want. And it's more than just weight-based dosing, right? Because it's about the stages and different age groups. So it is a lot more complicated than coming up with an adult medication. Right. This isn't like uh, coming, you know, dosing like uh, an antibiotic or right. something, milligrams per kilogram. No, you're yeah. right. It's, yeah. it's yeah. age-based because uh, the reason for that is is not because... It's, a, it's not a medication, first of all. Right. And, and the other reason is that uh, children's immune systems um, mature more slowly over time. Uh, they're, As children they get older. under the age of two, for example, which this vaccine is not going to be for in, in the first go-around. Dr. Uh, Mike, we're going to have to take a break. And uh, I'm here with Dr. Mark and Dr. Mike. We are having a very good discussion, and we'll be right back. The Integrated Independent Physicians Network, preserving and protecting the independent practice of medicine since 2015. Join the movement with us, ipnetworkflorida.com. Mark Chayot, MD, practicing pediatric surgeon since 1997, working with Central Florida's premier hospital systems and outpatient surgery centers, providing unparalleled patient care and leveraging the latest in medical, technology, and education accepting all major insurance. 407-228-4774 or visit orlandopediatricsurgery.com. The Integrated Independent Physicians Network, preserving and protecting the independent practice of medicine since 2015. Join the movement with us, ipnetworkflorida.com. Welcome to Healthcare Now. Welcome back to Healthcare Now. I'm here with Larry and Dr. Michael Mazinski. Uh, we're having a discussion today. Really, we're talking about kids and COVID, but we're going to branch out. Uh, we ended last session talking about the uh, vaccine that's going to be 
likely available in the next couple of months for the 2 to 11 age group. 5 to 11. Oh, I'm sorry, yeah. 5 to yeah. 11. Five I, to I, 11. See, I wanted to be 2, yeah, 5 <laughs> to 11. Uh, but, but Dr. Mike, if uh, we're going to probably move on on the topic, but I really would like you to sort of wrap up your total thoughts on what people should be thinking about about this new vaccine group. Well, the data so far show it to be as safe and as effective, it appears, as with adults at the dosage that the company figured out for the mRNA in their vaccine. Perfect. Uh, the, the other thing is that it's going to be a major development. COVID right now, serious COVID, is now a disease of the unvaccinated. And so by definition at this moment, everybody under the age of 12 is unvaccinated because it's not available right. to them. So this is going to be a major advancement in the protection of children in school against some of the side effects, which I'm sure we'll discuss in a bit. What kind of pushback do you uh, anticipate with the parents on this 5 to 11 group, Dr. Mike? Well, I think it's going to be the same as other vaccines that I've dealt with when they first came out. Because I've done a lot of uh, clinical trial research on vaccines. And the pushback I would always get is is the unknown, uh, you know, and how do we know it's safe? Uh, maybe I should wait until I get more data on it and things like that. Uh, and it's true that some vaccines post-marketing, uh, in other words, after they come out, uh, uh, side effects show up, which we don't expect sometimes, but that's not very common at all. Uh, so, uh, but, but parents will be hesitant, at some of them will be at the start, and then there'll be a group of parents who will really, really want it because they recognize that they probably got vaccinated and they're okay and they're with that and they're happy that they're protected. They want their children to have the same safety profile. Uh, but, it, it'll, it'll really add to our armamentarium and preventing COVID in school. Right, and I think, you know, the stepwise fashion of we do have some school-age children that have gotten the vaccine, and some of the schools are saying if you've had the vaccine and you're exposed, you're not quarantined. So different advantages that we've got stage one, now we're going to take it all the way to all the school-age kids, and I think that's going to be a, a huge move. Yeah. And Correct. Ha- the yeah. vaccinated do not have to quarantine after exposure. They should be tested yes. to be sure, but they, they don't have to quarantine. But, right. you know, that's interesting that you say that, Dr. Mike, because my granddaughter, who's 12, was vaccinated. She was exposed, and they sent her home for seven days. Yeah. I mean, that's that's just the way we yeah. talk about that. Yeah. Each school group, each yep. principal, everybody's sort of had to say – and we're not necessarily following what we know. Exactly. Yeah, that's what happens when you don't have a central approach to public health. Yes. Uh, you yeah. divvy it out to individual school districts. People interpret things yeah. in their own way, not necessarily scientifically, and it can cause issues. Yeah, they, that that fight for freedom can sometimes uh, make the fight for good medicine. And the the last piece on this is I'm I'm interested to get your thought on herd immunity. How will this next stage of vaccine distribution get us closer to what, we, what we've been looking for is herd immunity? Well, the goal of herd immunity is a long haul, and it's been made even worse, though, with uh, the Delta variant. You know, we figured that if we got 60 to 70 percent of the population vaccinated, we would wipe Delta out, and we yeah, kind of no did more. that, remember? Mm-hmm. Went away. We yeah. got all excited in the summer. Oops. Right. Then Delta came along, uh, and you have to get much higher herd immunity because that reproductive... Yeah, it's a lot more like measles. Yeah. So what yeah. you need is you need a... Well, the target right now is officially 80%, but I, I think it's probably closer to 85% or yep. so. And when you look at the age group, 12 to 18, who've gotten the vaccine, it's half of that. Uh, so so they're, they're a prime place uh, for COVID. Uh, to, uh, COVID uh, Petri. 
COVID will go where COVID wants to go and where it can go. Uh, and if you're unvaccinated, that's a good place where it can go. Right. Well, we've been talking about these school-age kids, and we mentioned that you're on the Orange County Public School Board Medical Advisory Committee. Uh, I'd like you to talk a little bit about a topic that's been really strong in the media, and that is mask usage. Yep. Right. Well, you know, we know masks work, uh, and people just dismiss that when I say it a lot of times, especially the anti-mask politicized individuals uh, who unfortunately uh, feel it's their right not to wear a mask, uh, like it's their right to potentially infect other people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we know from court uh, rulings all the way to the Supreme Court in the last century uh, that uh, your freedom ends where you harm others. Uh, and this is harm to others if you don't wear a mask. They work. We know this through laboratory studies on droplet transmission uh, stoppage and aerosol reduction. And now we know it in very large population studies. Um, I don't know if uh, your listeners know about those population studies. They just recently came out. So there were were two major studies just recently published of masks in schools that showed their strong effectiveness in preventing the spread of disease. They, They didn't just look at one spot. They looked at multiple counties in the United States, uh, ones that had school mask requirements and ones that didn't, and found that the the reduction of cases uh, per 100,000 student days was uh, tremendously lower in the counties with uh, mask requirements and much higher in the counties without mask requirements, showing uh, for sure in a large population study, multiple school districts, that masks work. So if you hear people say, there hasn't been a study that shows that in schools they're wrong. There's now, this is actually the third major study, another one was done in North Carolina, that showed the same thing. Now, I want to say one thing about masks, though. Masks are not the total answer. You have to use what's called a layered approach in schools to make the schools as safe as they possibly could be. That is the goal, as safe as possible for children against COVID. Masks are an integral part of it. Vaccination is a really important part of it. Uh, not just vaccination of the kids, but all the staff. Uh, they're really important vectors for children. And then if you look at the rest of it, uh, distancing is important. Uh, cohorting students is important. Uh, proper ventilation in schools. Orange County Schools redid all their ventilation, by the way. Yeah. Uh, with filters and mm-hmm. UV lights and all, and all. And they made it equal to that of being outside. I mean, that's sort of been the problem is everybody's looking for this one answer, yep. and it's not. It's that layered approach. Yep. And every time we come up and say, hey, we need to wear, we need more hand washing. Well, why hand washing right. doesn't work? Well, of course it helps, you know. And, right. But but it's very frustrating. I mean, you brought up yep. the, the MMWR, which is something that we were in med school, right? We started receiving that mortality that weekly report. Mm-hmm. Who reads that other than... Physicians, physicians right. and yeah. and importantly, many physicians read it, and we don't all agree with everything that gets spit out there. But we have a chance to say, "Hey, this isn't right, or that isn't right." It is an excellent source, and why it's so frustrating for people like you and I were saying, "Yeah, masks work." Well, and- Doctor Mark, let me get clarity on something from Doctor Mike. I mean, we know that the elementary school children they haven't been vaccinated. There is not a vaccine today, and they should wear masks. But what about the middle school and high school, the kids that have been vaccinated? What's your thoughts on that, Dr. Mike? 
Well, the problem is we have the Delta variant. And what happens is if you get a breakthrough case, you're twice as likely to pass on COVID to someone else after you've been vaccinated uh, than you would be with the original variant, the Alpha. So Delta has changed the whole landscape. Remember the CDC came out and actually said, if you're vaccinated, take off your mask. Yay. Right. Uh, right. But what ended up happening is we realized that breakthrough infections with Delta were still a major problem. So universal masking is still required at this point until we get the, the SARS-CoV-2, which is the uh, virus that causes uh, COVID, uh, to a positivity testing rate of, uh, of a seven-day average of 5% or below. Currently, Orange County is at 8.2%. Right. Uh, and, and a caseload uh, in any populated area of less than 35 cases, uh, or 25 cases, I'm sorry, per 100,000. And Orange County's case count at this time, right now, is 258 per 100,000. Yeah, so we're, I mean, we're oh, trending in oh, a direction, but, but we don't know. But we're, you we're know, not there. He, Dr. Mike brings up a great point, and, and I realize a lot of this has been politicized. Yes. But the bottom line is, why aren't those kind of messages that you just said explained to the student-parent population? I think it would certainly quell a lot of this nonsense going on in these school board meetings if people had the kind of information that you just relayed. Yeah, I think there there is a proportion of the people who are uh, anti-mask who would respond to that sort of information and yep. if you talk to them carefully and find out what their concerns are. But a, a lot a lot of individuals who are showing up at school board meetings are not the majority of people who have masks uh concerns. Uh, they, they, they tend to be uh, very vocal, and it seems that their argument is to, the louder they scream, the more right they are. Uh, and we've, we've had a lot of that uh, with yeah. Orange County. and Yeah, all across the nation. Yeah. I mean, the fights and, 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 and school the, board and the meetings. Is, yeah, yeah, it makes great news, <laughs> right? And people are getting their 15 yeah. minutes, and and it's all good and fine until you realize what we're really doing, and what we're right. doing is we're killing kids. That's right. You know, right. I mean, that's that's the bottom line. We're not following the science. And, you know, that became a real a real mantra, right, was following the science. And then they, that got politicized. I mean, isn't isn't the science the truth? I mean, isn't that's that's what we're always always yeah. reaching for. Yeah. Well, you can't make medical decisions uh, by guesswork and, and certainly not by common sense. I mean, I have people tell me this doesn't make any sense. If you have common sense, you wouldn't do this stuff. Well, I'm sorry, but science ignores common sense. Uh, science wants wants to prove something. Now, we scientists, uh, when we come up with our hypothesis and then we do a study that sort of shows our hypothesis uh, is correct, uh, we, have, we, tr- we try to adopt that hypothesis in the best way possible for our patients. And if another study is done that, that uh, repudiates our hypothesis, we look carefully at it and probably do another study after that. And if it's repudiated again guess what we do we dump our old hypothesis right and we and we make adjustments along the way with covid we have so much data coming in so fast uh that things seem to change on a whim but they're not on a whim uh, what the cdc it, uh, changes is based on data and new data means potentially new recommendations well i think the difference in today's society is that the data comes in and is put out to the public so quickly that th- groups like the CDC 
their job has now become a lot more on point. So they can't wait and say, you know, well, we need more information. I think the booster shop shots is kind of a good example because the data that we're waiting on is failure. Right. So I think that's yeah. why they took that further step and said if people are exposed, people are healthcare workers, they should go ahead and get the booster. Right. Because otherwise we're going to wait until we see those people get infected at a certain rate sure. and then we go, oh, you should, you know, we're, we're a little bit not totally behind the eight ball, but, but we can predict yep. things a little bit better in that group. Good point. Dr. Mark, when we come back, we're going to take a break. Uh, you know, it's estimated that 10 to 30 percent of COVID patients end up suffering long-term symptoms after the original infection. We'll talk about that when we come back. The Integrated Independent Physicians Network, preserving and protecting the independent practice of medicine since 2015. Join the movement with us, ipnetworkflorida.com. Mark Chayot, MD, practicing pediatric surgeon since 1997, working with Central Florida's premier hospital systems and outpatient surgery centers, providing unparalleled patient care and leveraging the latest in medical, technology, and education, accepting all major insurance. 407-228-4774 or visit orlandopediatricsurgery.com. The Integrated Independent Physicians Network, preserving and protecting the independent practice of medicine since 2015. Join the movement with us, ipnetworkflorida.com. Mark Chayot, MD, practicing pediatric surgeon since 1997, working with Central Florida's premier hospital systems and outpatient surgery centers, providing unparalleled patient care and leveraging the latest in medical, technology, and education accepting all major insurance. 407-228-4774 or visit orlandopediatricsurgery.com. Well, we've got your answer to navigating the healthcare world. Welcome to Healthcare Now. Welcome back to Healthcare Now. We are just having a Rip and great time talking about COVID. This has been great. Uh, Dr. Terrific Mike discussion. Yep. Yeah, it's been, it's been fantastic. Uh, we want to jump, uh, as we were saying at the end of the last section, we want to talk a little bit about the chronic long-term effects of uh, kids that have had COVID. Right. So what we know so far, uh, since COVID now is much more common in children, like I mentioned, one in four cases of COVID now are in kids. We're getting more data on, on the long-term effects. Uh, back when we made our, our mask mandate requirement back in June when COVID was way down, I think the school board was kind of surprised that we would say such a thing uh, because our, one of our major arguments is we really don't know what the long-term effects are or how much there is. We know what it is. We just don't know how much. So some of the long-term COVID effects are lung injury, you know, Kids who end up in hospital with COVID are usually kids who have pneumonia, and pretty bad pneumonias, and they could end up in intensive care with it. And and there's long-term consequences of that. You know, with any respiratory virus that attacks your lungs as avidly as COVID does, uh, you know, can leave you with lung injury as a child that can uh, persist into uh, teenage years and adulthood. Uh, the other one is myocarditis. Everybody's all worried about myocarditis after the vaccine. Well, myocarditis after COVID 
yeah. way, way, way more worse. possible than the vaccine. The vaccine is rare causing it, right. whereas myocarditis in kids does occur, especially young athletes, and we're probably missing cases. Um, there's there's now a big uh, algorithm, uh, uh, the organization, the pediatric organizations for uh, pediatric cardiologists on how to uh, decide when to return to football and stuff like that after you've had COVID because you could have sort of a silent myocarditis. You know, myocarditis is inflammation of your heart, which can lead to parts of your heart not working correctly. And also, uh, there is a subset of people with myocarditis after COVID who are at risk for sudden death while they're playing uh, uh, extraneous sports. I was going to ask you what, what reports, I mean, I've seen some reports on exactly that, but you, you've... Uh... You've got more data. What what kind of reports have you seen? Well, I've seen the same thing as you've seen. Okay. Um, the, the the best data actually is in college football, um, like at Ohio, the Ohio State University, yep. my alma mater. They did studies where they did functional MRIs on the hearts of their, all their athletes that COVID, and they found a surprising percentage having uh, myocarditis evidence. Uh, and the question is, is it mild and will it go away and it be no big deal, or what is it going to be? And so far, we're not 100% sure. So that, that's the problem. So why risk kids getting this if they might get something like that? Well, like I mean, that, that's the big argument. People are like, well, you know what? I'm, you know, I'm just going to get COVID, and you know, the kids are going to yeah. get it, and they don't have a bad – but that, they've totally missed what we don't know. And a lot of what right. we do know, what we, we know what some of the dangers are going to be, but they totally look at, no, I'm, I'm not going to do that instead of the vaccine. Right. Really? I, I've had people tell me that natural immunity is better than the immunity uh, from the vaccine. We know that's not is, true. Yeah. Which is not true. Not uh, true. I had somebody yeah. tell me that in the elevator the other day. Oh, no, I've already had it, so I don't need the vaccine. Yep. <laughs> well, I've heard it from high up uh, in, in uh, some leadership roles uh, that the best way to prevent COVID is to get COVID, which makes absolutely yeah. no sense whatsoever to me. Yeah, you, uh, you, you, know, you, guys, you guys were talking about uh, uh, an area of research Evidently, this past week, the feds uh, entered, uh, released an interim report called the COVID Patient Recovery Alliance Report. I don't right. know if, Dr. Mike, you've seen that? Yeah, I have. You, know, you want to talk about that? Okay. Yeah, I, I think it was, uh, it, it was uh, bolstered by the fact that there are people who are having long-term symptoms, mm-hmm. especially adults. You know, in, in many cases, they have like uh, recurring or chronic headaches fatigability, they, they, they have difficulty with concentrating. Um, it's kind of like have, after you've had mono, if you've ever had mononucleosis as a I did have it in college. Can't think straight for a while, right? <laughs> that's uh, right. And, and that, that seems to be occurring with COVID, but much longer stretches for some people. Uh, their loss of sense of uh, taste and smell uh, may last anywhere from a month to like a half a year, um, which is uh, uh, disturbing enough to some people. But we're now seeing the long COVID in children. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, originally there were rare cases, and now like I mentioned, it maybe as many as 10% of kids uh, may have the same sort of symptoms. But uh, what they've been showing uh, in, in children is a difficulty concentrating in school, emotional outbursts that they never had before, and sometimes uh, difficulty controlling uh, their uh, responses to adversity. In school, and that is causing some mental health issues, and it's uh, maybe directly attributed to COVID. We need more data on this. Yeah. Right. And, uh, researchers are frantically researching this very topic. 
Sure. To see what the long term. Well, let me give our listeners this name again. It's called the COVID Patient Recovery Alliance Report. COVID Patient Recovery Alliance Report. You could probably go online and pull that if you're a listener suffering from long-term effects of COVID, and you might pick up some things in there. Yeah, unfortunately, we don't really know what the treatment is for that yet. Mm-hmm. And we, we also don't know its underlying pathology very well yet either. What we do know that what COVID does is, you know, when it takes away your sense of smell, uh, those, those little olfactory nerves are really close to your brain. And then COVID has a direct entry to get into your brain and cause a mild case of brain inflammation, which a lot of people have. Right. Uh, and so, you know, that could leave you with these lingering effects potentially, just like if you had a case of encephalitis or brain inflammation from another virus. And what would that brain inflammation entail, Dr. Mike? Uh, you mean during the acute case? Yeah. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. you, you have severe headache, maybe a stiff neck, vomiting, okay. Uh, okay. Uh, difficulty uh, thinking, stuff like that. Uh, and uh, and so, so people who've had COVID are pretty much in the fog a lot okay. of times. So that, that's, what they, okay. that's what they describe. So, and when we talk about the long-term effects, now some of them do have to do with the severity of the illness, but others yeah. don't, correct? I mean, people can have, uh, children can have a very mild course and still have some of these long-term issues. Yeah, there are, there are individual reports of exactly what you said, but like I said, uh, a large uh, cross-sectional study uh, is being done now in multiple, by multiple different investigators, and well, hopefully we'll have that data soon. It takes time, right? Yes. Because we have to get enough people, enough subjects into the study uh, to really mm-hmm. get to a place where we statistically can say that it really does this. And, right, and, and I can and, almost like feel my own frustration in hearing the the people that are going to oppose it and say, no, this wasn't because of COVID, this was because of masks, or this was because of all this right. stress that well, on television, and, and all those things can be yeah. a factor, but, you you know, we can only control what we can control. Yeah. Well, you know, well, my, my granddaughter, 15-year-old, she had COVID, and she was sick for 30 minutes, and it was over. You know? Right. And, 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 you know, most children are like that. Yeah. Uh, you know, children do have less severe disease, there's no question. Children are hospitalized much less, and children die much less. But the point is, they do get severe disease, they do get hospitalized, and they do die, uh, and and just probably more so than with influenza. So why wouldn't you want? Why wouldn't you want to save them? Yeah. yeah, no, that's that's absolutely the piece. Touch on uh, MIS because that made the news sure. during the first bump, and it's it was a little bit more quiet uh, at this at this last surge. Yeah. Uh, well, it's still going on. I sure. mean, uh, MIS-C, uh, as it's abbreviated, is, stands for Multisystem Inflammatory Syndrome in Children. Uh, and what that means is uh, multiple systems get inflamed, and it's not an acute COVID event. It's a consequence of COVID that occurs later on, and it appears to be COVID uh, in some fashion uh, sets off the immune system of the child for the child's own immune system to attack its own organ. And what uh, is and the treatment for that today? It's similar to the treatment for Kawasaki's disease, if anyone has uh, any uh, knowledge about that disease. Kawasaki's is not named after the motorcycle. It's named after Tamasaku <laughs> Kawasaki, uh, who's a Japanese uh, researcher who first described it. And it's a multi-system inflammatory disease that is thought to be maybe triggered by some kind of infection, but no one ever figured it out. Now, MISC, as 
some stuff that is very similar to Kawasaki's, but it's really not the same. But interestingly, it, it, it responds to the same therapies, and uh, it's, it's huge doses of intravenous gamma globulin given to the, to the child, as well as steroids. So, uh, and that, that usually uh, helps tremendously in, in MISC. The, the way the immune globulin it works is it's kind of like a thermostat. You know, if I have a thermostat in a room and I, I want to fool the thermostat into going to sleep and not keep heating my house, I could put some uh, hot water bottle on top of the thermostat, and the thermostat would say, oh, it's warm in here. I don't have to turn the furnace on. Well, the furnace is the immune system hurting the child. And so you give IVIG, which is the end product of the immune response, and the immune system says, oh, we're doing our job. IVIG around, so uh, I'll shut off. Yeah, yeah. And, and, it, yeah. and it calms things down, and, and the children improve. But it's a very serious disease, and children frequently are, are put in the intensive care unit because it can affect the heart in very serious ways, as well as the liver, the kidneys, uh, the brain. Uh, that's why it's called multi-system. Typical symptoms are... Uh, uh, very high fevers for extended periods of time, five to seven days or longer, with no good explanation. They can get uh, lymph nodes in their neck and elsewhere. They they frequently have a, a really rash, a bad rash all over their body that, that could be of various different forms. Uh, they also may get swelling of their hands and feet. And then they, they, they would show potential on echocardiogram uh, where they uh, do ultrasound of the heart, uh, the, uh, dysfunction of the heart muscle, as well as inflammation of the arteries that feed blood to the heart, the coronary mm-hmm. arteries. So that is a lot so, like Kawasaki's. Yeah, well, yeah so you... it's a lot like Kawasaki's, yeah. but it's not quite the same because there are, there are frequently things missing from it. Uh, there's a case uh, definition for it that you could look up. It's on the CDC website as well as the Pediatric Infectious Disease Society. So yeah. Dr. I, Mike, are there more common chronic illnesses that could lead to MISC in kids that we've been able to determine, or is it just kind of hit and miss? No, it's only with COVID. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. But it, yeah. it resembles Kawasaki's. Is it the same disease? We don't think so, but we're not 100% sure. You know, well, I mean, we're, uh, well, we're kind of looking at, so when you talk about a disease, you talk about what causes it, and then you're describing a set of symptoms, right? So this MISC and Kawasaki's looks a lot alike. They're probably both triggered by a virus, but we know MISC, as we're describing it, is COVID. about COVID. Right. Yeah. So, right. so it does get a little, a little, a little bit confusing. And as you said, most, if not most of these patients, t- test negative for active COVID. Right. At so the time of their presentation, right. they're well over the, the yeah, COVID and, as yeah. an active infection. Yeah, and they may uh, not have been tested when they had COVID because they may have not been very symptomatic. You just yeah. One one of the one of the case definitions requires that you had a positive. COVID test in the past or currently, but otherwise you just have a suspicion that this is what it was and what else could it possibly be? Right. And you could have also have laboratory evidence in the blood that your body made a big immune response to COVID in the past. But bottom lining it saying that this is just yet another reason to wear your mask and get your vaccine. Exactly. And I thought it's interesting, Dr. Mark, you just came in this morning after visiting a patient that you suspected had MIS. Right. And, yeah. and I'm a pediatric surgeon. I was <laughs> exactly. called in because the, the primary care was, was thinking it was appendicitis. appendicitis. And I was right. like, no, yeah. that, that's, there's just too much going on. Well, Speaking of too much going on, we yeah. got to jump to a break. Yep. Any, any thoughts when we come back? Uh, yeah, I think... Uh, Not only do we want to continue this discussion, which has been incredible, Dr. Mike, 
I want to talk about the upcoming fall and winter season and talking about the regular flu shot as well as continue our conversation on COVID. That's great. There's some fascinating stuff about that. Okay. I can tell you. We'll be right back. Mark Chayot, MD, practicing pediatric surgeon since 1997, working with Central Florida's premier hospital systems and outpatient surgery centers, providing unparalleled patient care and leveraging the latest in medical, technology, and education, accepting all major insurance. 407-228-4774 or visit orlandopediatricsurgery.com. The Integrated Independent Physicians Network, preserving and protecting the independent practice of medicine since 2015. Join the movement with us, ipnetworkflorida.com. Welcome to Healthcare Now. Welcome back to Healthcare Now. I'm here with my co-host, Dr. Mark, and we have Dr. Mike Lusinski with us, an infectious disease uh, specialist who has really been involved in this entire COVID program here in the Central Florida area. Uh, welcome back, Dr. Mike. And uh, we, we were talking about, as we took the break, coming back into the fall and winter season and talking about the normal influenza shot as opposed to the COVID shot. Your thoughts on that? Before we get into that specifically, the okay. shot, uh, something really fascinating happened with respiratory viruses in 2020. I don't know if you're all aware of this. I bet your listeners said, you know, I don't remember yep. having a cold in 2020. Exactly. Hey, yep. we predicted it on this show. You predicted I predicted it, it on did. the show yes. that that's what was going to happen. You did predict it. Yep. And what happened was, you know, we closed schools down at the beginning and the kids are a major vector for bringing crud home to the, to the adults, right? They sure are. And and then uh, we all were married, wearing masks like crazy. Yep. At the beginning. Washing our hands. So so yep. you know what the argument there is going to be. So what do I need the flu shot now for? Well, let me tell you what happened. <laughs> now that we've taken our masks off and we're in football stadiums yelling and screaming for the home team, and uh, you know we're going back to restaurants and we're not wearing masks and we're not distancing that well and. Uh, uh, kids in some schools don't have to wear masks. Uh, yeah. it, it, these viruses came roaring back with a vengeance. And, and weirdly enough, viruses that usually peak in the fall to winter months and taper off in the spring peaked like crazy in March. I have never seen a particular virus that causes pneumonia in babies and kids called respiratory syncytial virus, RSV for short. Uh, peak in the month of March. Not ever in my 40-year nope. career. No, medicine, you could, always, you could like, predict when it was going to happen. It never, never at that time. Right, and then para-influenza, which is sort of a cousin of the flu, but not the same, and there's no vaccine for it. It causes milder disease. It also went nuts right after RSV in the spring, and, and that doesn't happen. And now what we're seeing is, again, RSV resurgence and para-influenza resurgence in the normal time of the year. And we're predicting that influenza is going to do the same thing. It's going to come back uh, mm-hmm. like it's never come back before, well, especially in children. One of the reasons why is, you know, when you, when you don't have disease in kids for a long period of time because we prevented it, 
and now all of a sudden you unmask them and, and expose them to all this stuff. Uh, they they are fertile ground now because they have no immune memory uh, over the last year, right? You know the vac- influenza vaccine. You got to get it every year. Every year, yeah. and if you don't, you're you're at risk for getting bad influenza. Yeah. Well, so, so that's what's happening. And so now it's really getting hard to diagnose COVID. Is it a cold or is it COVID? Because there's so many colds out yeah. there. Last year, everything that looked like a cold was COVID. Right. right. This year, who knows? You got to get tested all the time. But do you think? Uh, now I've talked about this a number of times, and you're the right person to ask. So what? The way you get rid of an illness globally uh, or even in a community, if you want a, a smaller area, is you either you know vaccinate against it, everybody's exposed and they become immune to it through exposure, or if you isolate and just don't pass it around, some strains of some of these viruses are going to disappear. Correct. And it's, kind you know, of, it's kind of like the pandemic of uh, 1918. Yes, the yeah, Spanish flu. Spanish flu. Yeah. Well, we did, we, we did everything things. except for a vaccine. We didn't have a vaccine. That's right. Well, we didn't have. We didn't even know what caused it. No, no, <laughs> and 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 millions and you know people died, and millions of people got the disease, and and that's yeah. how it happened. It didn't go away until everybody either right. died or was exposed right. and survived. But yeah, it, was your... a ter- it was a terrible disease, killed many Americans. But yeah. I want your listeners to be reminded that COVID now has surpassed. Yes. The, the 1918 pandemic yep. and death. Yep. Yeah, we did. We chatted about that. We last, talked it was about last that, week. Yeah. And yeah, it's it's very very interesting. But I, I wonder. I, I was being trying to be more positive and thinking that well, maybe since there are a number of different type of influenzas out there, that maybe we've got some of them that are that just couldn't couldn't take as much of the mask using and hand washing and isolation mm-hmm. that we had, and and maybe we won't get the big bump. But I'm, yep. I'm sure you're right that we're going to see a, a, a surge. Right. Yeah, well, your your hypothesis is interesting, but it needs a study. Yeah, it needs uh, a study. Well, and, and you know, the one. idea of uh, uh, distancing and nobody getting close to each other, we tried that last summer, and some of the states that had complete lockdown had more more cases than the states that didn't. Yeah, uh, because they weren't wearing, wearing masks yeah, they, indoors. Most yeah, likely. there's, there's, right. there's right. a lot of other... Con- yeah. yeah, and that, that became a political issue. And, it did. And you could almost yeah. predict what was going to happened by yep. by who the governor was yep. right so right you can't cherry pick the, the data right. and make your point you have to yep. look at the well let me let me bring up something else to you dr mike merck announced this week that they have a covid pill that supposedly cuts risk of death and hospitalization yes. is it molnupiravir is that how you say it that's right molnupiravir. oh i didn't know that yes. that's interesting it's kind of it's kind of got a catchy name and it's not new okay. right they've been working well, on this it, for years it, Okay. So, yeah, the type the type of uh, uh, medication isn't yeah. new. It's not uh, approved yet, but it, they're they're anticipating uh, emergency use in the next couple of weeks. So, you want right. to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, they submitted their data on this, and uh, it's it's kind of an exciting development. And I, the anti-vaxxers are really hot on it too because they think it's going to be the the next uh, cure all. But uh, it, it it is pretty effective. It, it has about a fifty percent effective rate in keeping you out of the hospital okay. if you take it early. Um, wow. it, it's probably not, it's about the same or maybe a little less effective than uh, um, oseltamivir, which is Tamiflu, right. or influenza, uh, for keeping you out of the hospital. Uh, the, the trick with molnupiravir, just like uh, oseltamivir, uh, is that you got to get it get it early. I mean, you got to take it in the first couple days, three days of illness or else it's not going to 
dropped the trial of hospitalized patients because once you, once you had COVID going on for a while, the drug didn't work. So it, it's the efficacy in preventing like someone like me uh, who's over 65 who has maybe some comorbid uh, medical conditions, uh, its efficacy is 50% keeping me out of the hospital. And that, unfortunately, is actually lower than the monoclonal antibody treatment. Uh, so uh, the question is, which one would you want to take? Well, this is a pill, yeah, right? right? And the other one is intravenous um, or intramuscular. Well, Dr. Mike, so intravenous, I, I, yeah. wanna, I want you to talk about something because I think our listeners and our overall audience need to hear this. What message do you have for parents when this 5 to 11 vaccine is approved? Talk to them about how urgent it is for them to get their kids vaccinated. Well, I I would like liken it to the influenza vaccine. If they if they're against the influenza vaccine, it's going to be hard to convince them that this vaccine is going to work in a similar fashion. Uh, it works by a different mechanism, of course, but we know the studies done so far that it, it affords really excellent protection against any problems with COVID uh, if you get it. I mean, you'll pretty much guarantee. Your kid's not going to get hospitalized, and your kid's not going to uh, suffer uh, uh, an unfortunate death uh, from COVID. It's, it's totally pre- it will be totally preventable now. Well, I mean, uh, so- but it goes back as we jump back with Merck's drug. I mean, yeah, that, that's great if you didn't get a vaccine, but it's not going to avoid those long-term issues that we talked about in the last segment. And the you know the same is true for those folks that are like you know I don't want to get that vaccine. We haven't seen with influenza, this long haulers issues. Right. We That's haven't true. seen these. Yeah. And and this is a real thing. I, I've said since the beginning, this virus is different. And we have to we have to stay ahead of the game, not wait for the game to be shown to us and say, oh, yeah, we should have done that. It's very, it's very different from all the other coronaviruses. Isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's another piece that's interesting, right? There's, there's what is there, six or 16 coronaviruses that we've identified, and they've been in the population for decades, and some well, of them are... There's actually seven major coronaviruses seven. that affect Oh, wow. Four, four of them cause 25% of all the common colds every single year. Yep. Wow. Yeah, so that, way back. That's why and people were screaming that the they first... saw, you know, oh, Lysol kills coronavirus. Well, wait, this thing was made in nineteen eight or in 2018. <laughs> well, yeah. But, but you know, coronavirus then mutated in animals and jumped to humans and caused SARS, the first SARS. And But SARS was kind of a wimpy, not a good fit virus that uh, really couldn't mutate as well, so it kind of died out on its own. Same thing happened with Middle East Respiratory Syndrome virus called MERS, M-E-R-S. MERS, yep. Uh, it burned that. out, too. Interestingly, people say the mRNA vaccines were just developed this year. It's not true. There's mm-hmm. an mRNA vaccine against SARS that was developed way back in 2003, 2004. Uh, and we've used this technology for other vaccines, including Ebola and other ones. And so this is this is the, the mRNA vaccines have been in research now for over 20 years. So, Dr. Mike, let me ask you, because we're kind of running. We've got a couple more minutes and it has been great having you on the show today. But knowing that we're coming into the winter months of the school system and being on the medical advisory board for Orange County Schools, what are you telling the leadership, the school board, the administration, about what to look out for coming into these winter months? Well, I'm going to be a little bit worried uh, when mask mandates are are gone, potentially, from our schools in Florida, as opposed to maybe other states which allow them, uh, because then we'll see maybe a resurgence of COVID in children over the winter months, once those are removed. 
Uh, I think we're going to see a, a usual spike of influenza or maybe a higher one. Uh, Dr. Mark said maybe it's going to be higher than ever. We just don't know. Uh, and so the only way to protect against both of these to really get things under control is to get a significant proportion of the population, i.e. the kids in school vaccinated, and that, that's going to be the key uh, to controlling this. It won't end it. Uh, coronavirus and uh, COVID are going to be around probably like an endemic disease, meaning one that just kind of hangs around and causes big problems here and there. Uh, but we don't want it to cause big problems where it overwhelms our right. hospital systems. We've talked about that a number of times, that since this is a global pandemic, the chance of us getting out of it and getting it to just be like the Spanish flu and something we talk about as historic value only, it's it's much less likely, isn't it? Yeah, it's, yeah. Oh, well, it, it, it's kind of like influenza if you think about it, right? Influenza mm-hmm. didn't go away with vaccination. Right. You know, but uh, influenza hospitalizations certainly were reduced dramatically with uh, vaccination, and deaths can be reduced also. Uh, influenza is similar in that most deaths from influenza occur in the unvaccinated. So, uh, you know, vaccines are really a miracle. Uh, I think they're a tremendous gift to mankind. You know, if you want to, some people are very religious about how they approach vaccines, saying that it's not in the Bible and other things like that, or it, there's parts of the Bible that prohibit it. I say it's a gift from God, if you believe in you God. You bet it is. Yeah, because, I, you know, God gave us the ability to think as human beings. Absolutely. Not to figure these things out and to give us great yeah. scientists who are working tirelessly and relentlessly. No, that's, to curb this pandemic. couldn't agree that's, with you That more. is very, very well, yeah. well point. Well, Dr. Mike, this is Mike Mazinski. It has been a great hour of information. I'm really excited for our listeners. One of the best shows we've done, Dr. Yeah, Mark. really, really yeah. great. Can't can't thank you enough. And uh, you know, we'll have you we'll have you back on another time. And hopefully, it will not be about a pandemic. Right. I yeah, mean, I could talk. I could talk about all kinds of infections that affect kids. Yeah. Some more common ones and more troublesome ones that parents always want to know about. Sure. Great. It's a date. All right. Well, thank you very much, and thanks to our listeners. Thank you, uh, We will Mike. see you again or hear you. Yep. You'll hear us again next week. And we'll see you next week. Do you feel better now? We hope you do. Join us again next week for Healthcare Now. For a podcast of this program, go to theanswerorlando.com. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.